This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to A Blast from the Past, Jerry's fans. And this is a show for remembering things that I did in the past and also interviews containing special guests. Um, One of the first ones that I wanted to bring was probably one of the biggest honours that I've ever had in my entire life. And that is interviewing one of the greatest minds out there. He's known for all of his work on astrology. He's a professor. He's also heard on BBC Radio's The Infinite Monkey Cage. He's published many books. He's done many tours around the world. This is my interview with one of the greatest minds in the world, Professor Brian Cox. Afternoon, Brian. How are you? Afternoon, very well, thank you. In the circumstances, I just, um, it, you know, knowing Boundary Park and, uh, you know, having grown up in Oldham, it's not a surprise to me that in January you can't, <laughs> the match can't be played. That was one of the, that was one of the great advantages of Boundary Park, actually. I think, especially when we we're in the Premier League, you know, you could see the shock on the players and the supporters' faces when they came to that ground because it is freezing cold in January. And to be fair, it was a shame uh, when I saw it yesterday because I would have loved to have seen the game played at Oldham. And I think it's the the magic of the FA Cup is going away to Mm -hmm. a team where the pitch might be poor. You know, some pitches might be resemble muddy fields, so to speak. (laughs) And therefore, you know, it gives that home team a bit of an advantage. But it has been moved to Dean Court, which will be great. Great for us and great for Chris Temple and our team uh, at BBC Radio Solon. But, you know, it's it's one of those (laughs) considering the current weather conditions. So, like I say, it's a pleasure to have you on here today, Brian. Obviously, we will be talking about the weekend's game shortly. But for those who may not know much about your early years, you're actually a keyboard player for Dare and D-Ream. How on earth yeah. did you make the transition uh, to the amazing work you do today? I mean, I've been um, <clears throat> so I, I, growing up in in, in Oldham. I, I was 
I was interested in astronomy. I mean, one of the things about um, the, the ground, if anyone's been to Boundary Park, you'll know that it's it's a ground in the Pennines. And Oldham is uh, a town in the country in many ways. And you can it's very easy to go up into the uh, onto the hills and see this spectacular night sky. And I used to do that way back when I was, you know, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 years old. So I'd always been interested in astronomy. But then when I was about 14, 15, I got interested in in music, not not as I, I didn't ever have lessons. It wasn't that I was kind of artistically interested in music. I was interested just in pop music. And then I, you know, at the age of 15 or something, I wanted to be a pop star, as as, as many people probably do. And I had a little band um, and we'd just done a few when I was 14, 15, there's done some little gigs, talent contests and things around Oldham and Saddleworth. And uh, we made a demo tape and uh, my dad uh, had met Darren Wharton in the pub and Darren Wharton had been, he just left Thin Lizzy. So he was a keyboard player in Thin Lizzy and he lived in Chatterton. And uh, so my dad gave him this little demo tape that we'd made. And, um, you know, Darren, I don't know if he paid any attention to it, but then when I was 18, I was just about, I'd applied to go to university to do, um, I didn't, get in to do physics actually because i'd i'd said I, I like astronomy and physics and my careers teacher at school had probably said you can't do that it's there's no future in that you know do so i'd applied to do engineering and uh, and i wasn't so keen and then darren needed a keyboard player and remembered there was this keyboard player up the road uh, and said will you come for an audition and, you, and so i got the, uh, the job in in the band dare and very shortly afterwards we got a record deal with A&M Records, this huge deal. Um, so I, I just kept postponing going to university. Um, and I think that the, I was supposed to be at Leeds University, actually. And I think the first, um, the, 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 the anniversary, or whatever it was, September, when I was supposed to go to Leeds, I was in Hong Kong doing shows with Dare. You know, it just really took off. So that was my route, really. I, I uh, And then Dare had this, you know, for us, quite a remarkable career. You know, we recorded two albums, um, visit, you know, both of them in Los Angeles. Can you believe it? I, I'd never been out of the country. And, and, and we ended up in Los Angeles recording albums, toured with uh, Jimmy Page, Gary Moore, um, and then Europe, the band Europe, you know, the final countdown. We did something like 50-odd shows with them across Europe. And then had our spinal tap moment and had a fight in a bar in Berlin. And um, I left and the um, guitarist left. Um, and uh, that, so that, then I went to university and I applied to University of Manchester to do physics, which is what I'd always really thought I would do anyway. Um, so that was my strange. And then actually, just to finish your question, when I in the year before I went to university, I needed a job. And uh, I, I so I was a sound engineer and I ended up working for this band that didn't have a deal, which was D-Ream. And then Dereem got a deal and then said, we need a keyboard player. Can you play the keyboards? Because <laughs> so, what happened with Dereem is that um, I was at university by the time Dereem started getting big. And so I did as many shows as I could. But um, quite often, I, mean, I was in lab or something or doing exams. There was one, actually, I remember really vividly. I was doing, I never used to like doing lab at university. And I, I was doing lab and, you know, your white coats and all that sort of stuff. And then we were playing supporting Take That at GMEX. And so I took the white coats off, walked up Oxford Road to GMEX in Manchester and went on stage supporting Take That and then went back to the university again. So I, I had a strange, <laughs> strange career as an undergraduate. Yeah. 
Oh, amazing though. It's so many stories as well. You could probably tell <laughs> about that. Time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not allowed. So I think when I'm retired, <laughs> Because I'd probably, I, yeah, I'd never be on the BBC again if I told the full, <laughs> the full story. I mean, being in a rock, you know, being in a rock band from Oldham, and it goes back, you know, we're talking about the football. That that time in nineteen, you know, eighty nine, um, ninety, which is when we got our deal, and and we were some minor celebrities in Oldham at that time. And then, of course, the the team at that time it was the time to support Oldham. I had a season ticket all the way through, actually. But that was the that time when we had the you know Joe Royal managing and that team, and you could read off the team people like Dennis Irwin and uh, Mike Milligan, Andy Ritchie, you know, uh, Ricky Holden, L. Barrett, Paul Warhurst. You know, it's just it, you could you list that team and people remember those players, and some of them, like Dennis Irwin went on to become massively famous. But at that time, Oldham had this sort of atmosphere about it. The Inspiral Carpets were there as well as Vans. So there was great music coming out of Oldham and the football team. And and we all used to go to the same pubs because there, there were just a few pubs, one of them called the Horton Arms, actually, really quite close to the ground and close to where I lived. And, and the team would come in afterwards. I mean, it's such a different time, you know, ultimately, 91, 92, you're talking about a premiership, to, well, first division as it was then, and then premiership. Yeah. And you know the, the fact that the the players, the team would come into the pub after the game and sit there. You know, was it was just the most because it's such a small town. It was such an incredible time to be in Oldham and part of Oldham. And it was you know it was us, the team, in spiral carpets and those people. I mean, you can only imagine what it what it was like. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, just moving on to the science part, how did your knowledge and understanding of science and the universe at an early age influence your life perspective? So, for example, your beliefs, culture and philosophy? Um, it's a good question. Um, I Cosmology, I, I learned ultimately that, that astronomy is um as my great hero Carl Sagan said a humbling and character building experience um it it delivers a powerful perspective um i mean we now know for example that we are one planet in orbit around one star amongst 400 billion stars in the milky way galaxy which is itself one of 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe we're now pretty sure that the observable universe which is the piece of the universe we can see is a very small patch of a much larger universe, which is possibly infinite. And recently, we've the, the modern theories that are trying to address what happened at the Big Bang and why the universe is the way it is, are now suggesting that perhaps there are multiple universes, perhaps that there have been an infinite number of Big Bangs and the universe has existed forever. That's kind of a thing called the inflationary multiverse. So, so you're forced by astronomy just by the act of observing and measuring our place, you're forced to concede that we're physically insignificant and very small. However, the flip side is that we're also, when you look at the history of life on Earth, it began around 3.8 to 4 billion years ago, but it took 4 billion years to go from the origin of life to, well, let's be topical, to a football team, right? <laughs> to, to, yeah. to a civilization, <laughs> to a civilization that can play football. That's, an, that, that's a very long time. Four billion years is a third of the age of the universe. 
And if you look at all the planets we've discovered, we, we suspect there are some, virtually every star you see in the sky has a planetary system around it. Um, but very few of those places we think have been stable for something like 4 billion years, which is the time it took here to go from the origin of life to anything that you might call complicated, anything that thinks. And so I think astronomy gives you two perspectives. One is that we're physically insignificant, but the second perspective is we may be astonishingly valuable because it, I think it's very rare that, that we think about what we are. We're collections of atoms that have been around since pretty much the Big Bang, or for the heavier atoms like carbon forged in stars, at least one generation of stars. Um, and then we've come together to be able to think under the influence of the laws of nature. And the sense that many scientists have is that that has probably happened in very few places. And in fact, you can make an argument that on the average, there may be about one civilization per galaxy at any one time. So that makes us remarkably valuable. And I think it's that, it's that clash of ideas just through observing the universe that forces us to think very carefully about, we, we don't think about it very often, right, in, in our everyday lives. And that's normal. I mean, obviously, at the moment, everyone's under tremendous press and stress, uh, stress and pressure. It's a worrying time. But there is this wider perspective that we are astonishingly fortunate to be here. And I think that's what astronomy delivers. Does having some perspective in life enable you to get over a Latix loss a little bit more easily? <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> I, you know, I remember it, at my my heyday, which is when I, when I was in Oldham at that time. You know, we we had the, a roller coaster ride. I mean, um, you you know, I'm thinking of particularly the semi-finals uh, against Man United when we uh we had this spectacular three-three draw last minute. I think it was Roger Palmer who scored in the last minute, and then lost in the replay. You know that, and then the, we had the, the season. Then we had Forrest in the final, the League Cup final. And, and I remember reading that all the players said they, they played something like 60-odd games that year. You know, we had the FA Cup run, League Cup run, and they were just knackered, basically. And, and so there were those great anti-climaxes uh, for Oldham. And then, of course, you know, the story, the story of that time of Oldham was just joy and then great sadness. You know, we, we were, yeah. well, you know, we were probably the most famous and best loved team in the country, I think, for a few, a couple of years because of the way that Oldham used to play. I remember, you know, you, I mean, Joe Royal would play like, you know, you play one centre-back. And, we, you know, I remember beating West Ham 6-0, which was just beautiful. You know, we just completely <laughs> destroy teams. But then you'd get these moments where a team like Man United would sneak it in, the, in injury time. And it, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think anything, <laughs> no, no, no amount of perspective on the size and scale of the universe can prepare you for United sneaking it <laughs> in injury yeah. time. There was a, I remember Mark Hughes, this wonder goal that he scored at Boundary Park. That um, it just, I, I, I don't know how he did it. It was, it was one of, the, I think, and Mark Robbins scored, didn't he? And a lot of people say that was the goal that saved Alex Ferguson. You know, that, that yeah. one moment, um, you you know, yeah, United were doing really badly at the time. And just moving on to, are you generally optimistic or pes pessimistic? And have the recent world events changed that in any way? 
I'm always I'm optimistic because I think that um, the I mean it, it's interesting you talk about the well the, the pandemic I suppose what what you've yeah. seen there is um, these things have happened throughout history it's the first thing to say we, we've been in a constant battle with viruses throughout our yeah. whole evolutionary history in fact it's um it's likely that that a, a great deal that, that one of the reasons that we're here is that constant evolutionary tussle between us and viruses and life and viruses that's been going on for three and a half billion years right um it's part of evolution but the difference this time is the remarkable speed with which we developed the vaccines so we went this time last year we just discovered this virus it it it, it jumped to humans what in probably was it november i suppose just over a year ago yeah uh, and they've been discovered in in china uh, around 12 months ago genetic sequencing was done which is remarkable we couldn't do that 10 or 15 years ago and then we developed vaccines some of which uh, are using new technologies which will now be deployed against many other diseases so in the space of 12 months we've seen a new virus we've developed the vaccines the vaccines are rolling out that's incredible and um so so i think that shows you that if if we invest in research and development and education and continue to do it because remember that 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 expertise wasn't just invented 12 months ago when mm. it was needed it comes from investment over decades in knowledge yeah. and education if we continue to do that what you see is that we can do remarkable things i mean it is astonishing the speed with which we've developed and now are deploying the vaccines. So that gives me great optimism. You know, I mean, there are many reasons to be pessimistic. They, they tend to be political, though, in a sense, not, not party political, but in the sense that it, the challenge now is how we deploy the knowledge that we have. You know, we know, we remarkably, we're, we're able to see that we're damaging the environment, for example, global warming. We can see yeah. it because we've got satellites up there primarily that are looking down at the earth and measuring, making precision measurements on the way the climate's changing. We have supercomputers that allow us to model the way the climate changes. So we know the problem. Again, if you go back, the, I mentioned Carl Sagan before. Uh, Carl Sagan once said that if the dinosaurs had had a space program, they'd still be around, right? which is kind of a joke. Yeah. But actually, it's not a joke um, in the sense that we are now in a position where we can see threats coming. We see yeah. them. And usually, broadly speaking, we can do something about them if we choose. Now, the challenge now is to get our, I suppose, our politicians, which means our society, actually, because we're dem democracies. So we're all responsible for the, the direction of our country. It's to get people to um, understand the, the, the power and the responsibility that comes from the knowledge that we've generated and we use it wisely. That's a challenge, but we can do that. It's not as if, the, it's not as if this is something that we can do nothing about as we've seen with the pandemic. We can do something about it and we are doing so. So that, that's why I'm optimistic. I mean, it comes down ultimately, I think to, um, having a, a, a population that's you and me and everybody that's yeah. listening who have some not knowledge of not knowledge of science because you know we all have our jobs we all have things to do we can't all spend time learning about everything in the world uh, but have a basic understanding of what it means to to make a, a state a scientific statement what reliable knowledge is 
and which experts to trust and which yeah. people, which voices not to trust and to try to make a reasoned decision about a sensible way forward. That's the challenge now. But that's a challenge for all of us. Yeah. Just, just to think. And just staying on the topic of the pandemic, what effect have recent events had on the environment with more people working from home than ever before? Well, you, you see, said, I mean, I, I don't know is the answer. I've seen, so it said anecdotally that, um, that there, there have been some, it's hard, isn't it? You don't want to say positive effects. I mean, obviously, if you're traveling less and there's less air travel and so on, then um, globally, the emissions go down. But this is not the way to do it. <laughs> right? So so I'm not one of those people who says, well, at least there's a silver lining to that. Uh, it's hard to argue there's a silver lining to this cloud. Right? It's, it's a tremendously yeah. destructive thing. Um, so, but um, I, I think what it, if there's a positive effect, ultimately, I think it'll be in our attitude to nature. I mean, it shows yet again that nature is not something that is not benign and you can't ignore it. And it's not it's not going to be OK if we just sit there with a head in the sand. This applies to climate change, but it applies also to pandemics. But it won't be OK. These things come. These things happen. Um, and uh, the, the key point, though, as I said before, is to notice that we have the intellectual capacity to do something about it. The challenge now is do we have the political capacity to do something about it? I, I promise, Brian, we will talk about the football very, very soon. Um, <laughs> yeah. But some people form emotional attachments to scientific misapprehensions. Should we try and correct or guide these people? And if, if so, how do we do that? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Um, it's, I think it, it's education is always, is at the base I think I've alluded to it before. It's it, the, our problems and our opportunities ultimately come from how well we educate people. That that starts, of course, with children. That's where it starts. If I were if I were given power, if people voted for me, I, the, the, I think the first thing I would do is make sure that all of all of us listening have children. What we really want, I think, one of the key things is that our children go to schools where they're educated to the best of their ability. And if you can do that, and if you can teach critical thinking at school, and if you can teach children, uh, you know, children need to be exposed to a wide range of ideas. We're not just talking about science now, by the way. We're talking about the arts and music and sports. Uh, those things, that's where the future lies. I, it's, it's easy to say, 
but I firmly believe it. Um, again, I mean, I keep referring to Carl Sagan because he was. If, if people haven't read any of Carl Sagan's books, Cosmos was his very famous TV series, but he wrote a great book called The Demon Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark, which is kind of an answer, attempt to answer your question. And he said that the thing is, in a democracy, everybody has a say on the future of the country. With that, there is a responsibility to make sure that everybody can have an informed say on the future of the country. And that means that you really need citizens who are at least aware of the progress in science and engineering and arts and sports and music. You need a, a, a just a broad kind of understanding of those things because you're going to take decisions about them. You're going to, your vote is, if it's not an informed decision, then democracy is in trouble. And, and how do you make an informed decision? Well, it's down to us as a society to demand the best possible education for our children. Yeah. That's the way to do it. You can't, to go to the sense of your question, you can't do it by bullying people and saying, well, you're an idiot if you think the earth's flat or something. Yeah. You are an idiot if you think the earth's flat. <laughs> but, but it's not going to get us anywhere. Yeah. And you might say, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you think the earth's flat, whatever. It, maybe it doesn't matter. But the point is that there's a strong correlation, which we do see, between people who believe in one conspiracy theory. Which is, I mean, I, it's, by the way, I don't understand why it's a conspiracy theory, because I don't understand what anyone has to gain. You know, I can understand exactly. it if there are conspiracies saying, well, you know, they, these people make a lot of money if they say that, you know, <clears throat> whatever, chopping down trees is a good idea because they want to make get loads of wood. I guess. But, I mean, <laughs> the earth being flat, what possible reason is there for keeping that quiet? Anyway, but there's a, there's a strong correlation between that and distrust of experts in many other areas. And if you distrust experts in climate change or vaccination policy, or public health policy, that does have consequences. And so I think that's the key, that, that's what we have to address. That, that, that I'm almost saying that there's no such thing as a harmless conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. So when you meet your mate down the pub and they go, well, I think we didn't land on the moon. It's kind of funny, yeah. you know, well, whatever. But actually that person is much more likely to believe that it, there's no point in being vaccinated. Yes. And that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. You're well known, Brian, for making things that are complicated, fairly simple for viewers to understand, people like myself. I was just wondering if you thought football has gone the other way, as these days there seems to be a bit more of reliance on statistical analysis, uh, scatter charts, tactical formations. Do you subscribe to this way of analysing football matches or are we simply overcomplicating the beautiful game? Well, I suppose it's inevitable, isn't it? Because um, on the one side, um, it, it is true that the more information and data you have and the better you're able to model the way that a complex system works, in this case, a football team or two football teams on a pitch, then the better you will do. Right. So the more information you've got, the more likely it is. Uh, that you will do well. But I do share that view that, um, that there's football is, is, is a science and an art, isn't it? Which yes. many things are both sciences and arts. And you can't, you can't analyze away Messi, for example, <laughs> right? You know, so, so there's genius at work as well. 
And I think that's um, it, that's the same in, in music. You know, you referred to my early music career. You can you can take lessons in playing the guitar or the piano until you're blue in the face and become technically brilliant. But yeah, you know, you, you're not going to write a song like the Beatles. <laughs> so, so there's yeah. something. I think that the same goes for football. Uh, so I suppose my answer is it's inevitable because if you can get even the slightest edge, because the the rewards are so great, and there's so much money in it. Now yeah. you can. It's, it's interesting, you know. We, we talk about Oldham. If you go back to that time, um, that those seasons, 1991, 89, 1991. You know, Oldham played with. I've seen interviews with particularly people like Ricky Holden, who's, who's my favorite player i think i mean one of the great left wingers that he just ran past people perfect crosses every time someone like ian marshall or andy richie would stick it in the net and um, but he said that a great deal of the 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 reason for the success of that team was that they were actually all friends and they did actually all go out to the pub afterwards and i know because i used to be with them in the pub and <laughs> 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 you used to get lock-ins in those days because it wasn't as kind of harsh as it is now and then, but so th th there was something completely, in it, there's something intangible about the way that team played because they were all mates. Um, there were no prima donnas that they'd all come together. Joe Royal had this attitude that just go and attack, and he had a philosophy for the way the game is played. Um, and, and I think that's art. That's not science. There was, there was very little science, I think, in that team. It was just like, <laughs> you know, attack. Uh, and, and, you know, we had. You know, was it uh, Paul Warhurst and Earl Barrett at the time, the centre-backs? I mean, they were so fast, those two. You know, they, they were mainly in the opposition half of the pitch, <laughs> you know. And, and I think that's that's not – you wouldn't do that if you tried to analyse the the way that you were, you know, the way that you were shipping goals, for example. Yeah. <laughs> Why did someone score four goals against us? I don't know. It doesn't matter, does it? We didn't score five. I mean, I think that was the philosophy. Well, at the moment, Oldham sit 14th in League Two, six points off the playoff places. What do you think the expectations for the club was at the start of the season? I, I mean, recently, um, I mean, I haven't been, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't live in Oldham anymore, so I haven't been yeah. to a game for quite a while. I think we've been through a really difficult time. And, um, you know, the, I think to be, to, to to be comfortable mid-table and, as you said, potentially pushing towards the playoffs. I, th I get the sense that exceeds expectations. Um, you know, so, there, yeah, if you're six points off the playoffs at this stage in the season, then you've got a chance. My time supporting Oldham was that time when I was, you know, well, from the age of about, I don't know what the first game was that I went to. It would be with my dad. I was probably 12 or 13, I suppose. Because we, we could walk up to the to Boundary Park from my my house, and so so it was the, it was those days. And then when when I, I I left the town, sort of not not until actually until I went to do a PhD, which because I which so it's so probably like ninety three, ninety four, or something like that, ninety five, when I, I started to lose it. Which sounds seems like yesterday to me, but it's actually a, a while ago. Isn't it? <laughs> so, <laughs> So, so I always, I always just, I mean, what I do do, you know, because you always have it. I think if you, if you, you know, supported a team and, and been to games in the past, I, I always have a look. So I always on on a Saturday afternoon, I'll have a look at the um the the, the results, you know. But I, 
I haven't I haven't seen Oldham play now for quite a while. I need to go. Some people contact me occasionally from the club, yeah. and um, and and uh, invite me up. And I, I did some. Um, they have a great charity sort of outreach uh, program in Oldham, an educational charity outreach. And so I, I did a, a little bit of that at my old school actually, and and some of the players came down. So um so and then the pandemic of course. <laughs> so I haven't been able to get up there, but. I must go. I must go and see a game. I was going to say the ground's better now. It used to be. I mean, we're, we, you know, it was it was standing in in the in the uh, at Boundary Park in the Cherry Road. It's all beaten now, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, Oldham have been part of many FA Cup surprises previously. You beat Man City, Liverpool, and more recently Fulham as well. Yeah. Do you envisage another surprise on the cards for us on Saturday? You, you, you can never tell in the cup, can you? I just no. don't know. But it, but that that I mean, it's a cliche, isn't it? I mean, it's one of the great footballing cliches. But it is the place where anything can happen. Um, and so I, I, I have no idea. I mean, it's a shame that just to reiterate what you said at the start. I think. It's a shame that you can't that that match isn't being played at Boundary Park, because it's a great ground. Oh yeah, uh, you know it's got a real character to it. It always so even now, although it's been developed to some extent, it looks like the football grounds I grew up with. Certainly in my mind, it's still one of those grounds. You know, the, so yeah, we've got we're at a disadvantage now, I suppose, not playing at Boundary Park. Yeah, and I do this with everybody, Brian. Um, what would what's your prediction for tomorrow? Uh, I probably because the weather's going to be it's freezing cold, isn't it? Although it'd be probably quite yeah. nice weather forecast. Isn't it? Oh, it, it's freezing down here. It was minus two last night, so um, yeah, but it might be sunny. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I'm going to go. For, I'm going to go for one all. Well, there's no replays this year, but. Do you think? Oh no, you there might... isn't. No, you're right, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. You're right. You can't have one, all can you? No. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I'll do go for you... Olden win then. Olden win. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough, no, Brian. <laughs> well, before you yeah. go, I just wanted to touch upon your up-and-coming tour, Horizons, which takes place later this year, and then is going globally next year as well. Do tell yeah. us a little bit more about that. Well, it's um, we'd planned it. Uh, ages ago it was um i did a big tour a couple of years ago and really enjoyed it and um so i i i got there's one central idea which is i was talking to a friend of mine um about uh, who's a conductor um it's a classical music conductor and i was talking about 2001 which is one of my favorite films um probably my favorite film and, and said to him you know the music what should kubrick have done right if he could have done something better in that film <laughs> And he, and he told me about this music by um, uh, Sibelius, this Finnish composer, and said it's. And if you listen to it, it's a, for those that want to. It's the Fifth Symphony, the third movement of the Fifth Symphony, and it's all the science fiction films you've ever heard. It was written in 1914, 1915. Um, so in the, during the First World War, just before Finland had a civil war, um, which is hard to believe now, you know, hundred years later that Finland had yeah. a civil war just hundred years ago. Uh, but yeah, it's this tremendously optimistic vision of nature uh, and, and an optimistic vision of what we could become, 
as a, as a, it feels like, which is what 2001 was basically about as well. Yeah. So I had this idea that um, the, the more we learn about the universe, the more, as I said before, the more remarkable it seems that we exist at all. <clears throat> but there's also this sense that because we're very rare, we have in some sense a responsibility to be more. So, so what, what could we become if we take the right decisions now and we continue to learn about nature and we continue to solve the problems that, that face us, pandemic disease, climate change and so on, what, what, what could we become? And so it's yeah. this, it's a, it's a, it's a, a live show with enormous screens. Um, we, we, every time I go out, I try to put bigger screens in. So at Bournemouth, by the way, I think it's one of the smallest venues that we can get the full screen in. So it will yeah. be, I mean, the screens are built for the, for the O2 and places like that, but I think we can just about get it in. So it's going to be a wall of high definition LED. And we've been generating, yeah, you know, I've been working on graphics. We can talk about black holes and what happens when you fall into a black hole, the origin of the universe, the origin of life, but also all the way through this optimistic vision of what our future might be. So hints of our future and almost sort of science fiction vision. And I'm actually working with this remarkable um, artist in Stockholm, Eric Vernquist, who, who, who just creates these worlds, these graphical worlds that I want to live in. You know, when I was growing up, the, the things I was doing was watching Elder Athletic and, and being into science fiction and having that, you know, there's, you probably people remember those books you could get with, there's one called Spacecraft 2000 to 2100 that I had, which had these, these visions of, of space liners going to Mars and things like that. And this, this future that I wanted to live in. And so there's a hint of that in the show as well. What, what, what might our future be like, but the central physics in it is um, that I, I'm writing a book at the moment on black holes. Because black holes are just very recently, um, we've be, we been beginning to understand them, I think. Um, it's been a quest that, I mean, Stephen Hawking would, was asking difficult questions about black holes back in the 60s and 70s, back in the 70s, um, you know, and, and certainly early 80s. And we're just now beginning to understand a very simple idea, actually. Which is what happens, a simple question that Stephen first asked, which is what happens if you throw a book, let's say, or a hard disk or something into a black yeah. hole? What happens to the information? Does it vanish from the universe forever? Or does it somehow come back into the universe? And that question has been uh, generating vast amounts of theoretical physics for 50 years. And just this year, I think we're beginning to get a handle on it. And not to go into too much detail, but it seems that the answer to that question is yes, the information comes out, but the way it comes out requires us to build a new theory of space and time. And, it, and it's beginning to look like space and time are things that emerge from something else. So they're not fundamental. So the thing that we sit and look at our watch and time passes and there's, you know, we're in a, a room and that's space, that looks like it's not a fundamental description of reality. And that's incredible. So, so by studying these things, these, these collapsed stars in the sky, um, we are beginning to be led to a view of reality that is completely divorced from the world that we think we live in. And that's a beautiful example of the way that science works. So we're right at the heart of that show. Although there's this, there's the optimism and the music and, and a celebration of nature, but there's also this, there's going to be this rather spectacular graphical uh, sort of journey into black holes. And I'm going to talk about what that's teaching us about the, the fundamental nature of reality with big graphics, <laughs> with big screens yeah. and big speakers. <laughs> so it'll be a spectacle. 
So as Brian's just said there, um, you will be at the BIC in Bournemouth on the 27th of October this year, Brian, won't you? Yeah, yeah. I I'm, mean, I'm, I'm confident that that's another, it's an act of optimism, isn't it? Because, you know, at the moment it's so difficult to see that, you know, we could even get back into a football ground, you know, which is outside, never mind yeah. the inside. But but I, I do think that um, the with the vaccines rolling out now, I, I think I, I, I you have to be an optimist, don't you? And, and I think we can be optimistic. I mean, we've got, you know, what, two vaccines now, another one, another two or three, actually, just about to be certified, I think. So if we get this right, I think that we'll have, we hopefully will have dealt with this. The, 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 I mean, the, what can we do at the moment? I mean, I should say that, that because those vaccines are now being rolled out, the, the way that we deal with it now, and everyone's been saying it, is just to stay safe now. It's, we're almost there. We've gone through this tremendously difficult year, another few months, and yeah. you can see an end. So, so I, you know, I'm tremendously optimistic that we'll be able to do those shows in October. And the website to go to uh, to get tickets is BrianCoxLive.co.uk. I think you can just type it in if you go Brian. It'll come up on Google. It, it does. And if you're not local, there are going to be many shows across the UK and then moving across to the Far East, Australia and New Zealand as well in 2022, Brian. And then, then US so, and Canada. And then, uh, yeah, and then a bit of Scandinavia, I think, as well. Fantastic. So any of our international cherries, check it out as well. And also all the programmes as well that you've done will be on Google Play, and any other service for people to download as well. Yeah. Yeah. You can always get them somewhere. I've made so many of them now that people, when I, cause I teach at the university of Manchester and some of the students, so I teach first year. So they're 18 years old and that they, you know, they say, yeah, when I was, when I was six, I remember watching your show. And you go, God, it's <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> Well, I speak for every Bournemouth fan, Brian, in saying thank you for joining me today on the show. It's been really insightful, really interesting. All the very best for the up-and-coming tour and the very best for everything in the future. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And good luck. Good luck. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe I should have said, maybe my prediction should have been that Bournemouth might sneak it. Probably more likely. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure brian so thank you so much for joining me thank you and thank you everybody for joining us here on this show please remember to hit the like the subscribe and the bell button below to be alerted to any new videos that we do put up here on up the cherries in all departments this video was originally posted on Back of the Net, so thank you to Sam Davis for allowing us to use it. Like I say, this is one of my biggest honours throughout my entire life, and it is great to reshare this with everybody because it was just such an honour, just such an honour, and I really hope that you've all enjoyed it. I know some of the bits might be out of date, um, unfortunately, Oldham are in the National League now. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that Oldham do get back out of the National League, back into the Football League where they belong. Um, and Professor Brian Cox continues to surprise the world with all of his knowledge. Um, and it's it's just 
if it rank, if I could rank things that I've done in my lifetime, this would be right up there. It right up there. So, like I say, thank you again for checking out this video, and we'll see you in the next one. Up the cherries. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.